Right. Um, I have a bit of a hospital pass with that Bible verse, wasn't it? That we've got this morning. And I'd rather be reading the uh, the Bible verses rather than have to preach on it. To be honest with you, <laughs> sometimes you get a you get a verse and you're looking at it and you're going, "Oh, how can I make this work?" So right now, I'm going to ask you all to uh, fasten your seatbelts, buckle up. This is going to be uh, a bit of a ride. It is an intense piece of scripture. And it will, at points, defend and challenge and challenge deeply. Last year, while we were all in lockdown, um, a person I looked up to for most of my uh, pastoral life from when I went there, when I became a Christian, um, because of the way he was so eloquent in being able to share the gospel, but also respond to very difficult questions. I started amassing, collecting a whole lot of his books. His name was Ravi Zacharias. Uh, he started uh, a ministry called Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Um, a lot of great speakers have come out of that ministry. Um, uh, the field of apologetics was incredible. He, he basically uh, formed, I mean, laid the foundation of apologetics in the 20th century. Now, you might say, we don't really know him here, but he did come here five years ago. He only went down to the University of Otago in Dunedin, and both sessions uh, were completely booked out. Um, but that's what he did. He went to universities and spoke. Um, incredible speaker, quite highly looked up to. He passed away while we were all in lockdown last year. And um, uh, the former Vice President Pence gave the eulogy, all the big Christian Leaders in the U.S. in particular were there. It was a big thing. But then something happened. A day after the funeral, uh, a woman um, spoke out, saying that she was a masseuse who was sexually abused by Ronnie. She was shut down. Put to the side. No one believed her. By October of last year, there were so many voices coming out that the uh, ministry, RZIM, the board decided we, we need to actually maybe get a law firm, an outside law firm, to do an investigation to clear Ravi's name because this is ridiculous. In December, the law firm came back with a preliminary report basically saying what I've said to you this morning, asking your seatbelts. And then Thursday of this past week, they released the report. A four-month investigation found that the late Ravi Zacharias leveraged his reputation as a world-famous Christian apologist to abuse massage therapists in the United States and abroad over more than a decade, while the ministry led by his family members and loyal allies failed to hold him accountable. Zacharias used tens of thousands of dollars of ministry funds dedicated to a humanitarian effort to pay four massage therapists, providing them housing, schooling, and monthly support for extended periods of time, according to investigators. Interviewing one of the masseuses, she told investigators that after he arranged for the ministry to provide her with financial support, he required sex from her. And he did this all in plain sight. But that wasn't it. 
It didn't just stop with the masseuse. He began soliciting images from people, from women. He would engage their trust and then began requesting images from women. One couple about four years ago, the Thompsons, uh, Laurie was, ended up in this abusive relationship with Ravi, confessed to her husband, had lawyers involved, and the lawyers sent a letter to the board of RZIM saying, this is happening, you need to do something about this. And Ravi Zacharias countersued Thompson in 2017, claiming that her lawyers led it to the board alleging sexual abuse was actually an elaborate attempt at extortion. You can go online to Christianity Today to read his interview with Christianity Today about that four years ago. They ended up uh, settling out of court, and the Thompsons were slapped with an NDA, which is a non-disclosure agreement. They couldn't say anything. And on the day they signed the NDA, the report noted that According to the investigative report, Zacharias continued soliciting sexual images of women as he settled the case with the Thompsons. He defended himself publicly and assured RZIM leadership that staff and staff that he did nothing wrong and there was no need to investigate. As this went on, come to his funeral last year, which was a, a live uh, streamed event online. A woman who was watching it herself had been abused by Ravi as a masseuse. Watched it, couldn't believe what she was watching. And she started to think, there's got to be more than just me. There's got to be others. She was not aware of the Thompson case. She was not aware of these things. So she found a website run by an atheist, a guy named Stephen Bauman. And what he was doing was cataloging all these abuse allegations. allegations that were coming out. So with his help, she was able to then get her voice out. And that voice was heard. But she said this really interesting quote in the article on Thursday. She said this, as far as she could tell, this atheist blogger was the only one who cared that Zacharias had sexually abused people and gotten away with it. She was saying, as a Christian woman, I had to go to an atheist to find the truth. The board of RZIM this week released a statement in response to how they treated the Thompsons. And they said this, we were wrong, the statement says, it is with, with profound grief that we recognize that because we did not believe the Thompsons and both privately and publicly perpetuated a false narrative, they were slandered for years and their suffering was greatly prolonged and intensified. intensified. This leaves us heartbroken and ashamed. How did Christianity get to this point? How did we get to this? How did we get to a point where results are more important than character? How do we get to a point where policies are more important than character? It's a far cry from the one we follow, Jesus Christ. 
People tell me, why are you saying all this? Why are you putting this out, Rob? Why are you doing this? We should be the first ones to put this to light. We should be the first ones to own it and say, this is wrong. I shared last week, it's not um, secularism that's causing the downfall of Christianity. It's cynicism. People are growing up just thinking they just don't follow what they say. And it's interesting because the verse we have today, the passages we're looking at are hard. They're tough. Jesus says, you have heard that it's said that you should not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Your right eye causes you to stumble, throw it out, pull it out. If your right arm causes you to stumble, pull it out. It's better than they're gone than you going to hell. Wow, this is like really harsh stuff. I'll break it down because it requires me to break it down, but not right now. What I want to point out right now is Jesus judges the heart. The means does not justify the ends. Let me make that really, really, really clear. The prophet Jeremiah had no ends. The poor guy died broken, disowned, and yet there are his words. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. The means never justifies the ends. Jesus judges the heart. And as we go through this book, through this sermon, it's all about your heart. Because I know you've heard about this, but I want to know what's going on right here. Because you might look really good on the outside. You might be doing all these wonderful things on the outside. But let me tell you, that's not what I'm looking at. That's not what I'm going to be judging you on. I'm going to judge you on your heart. Where are you at? And that gives me actually a little bit of, okay, cool. Because I feel like I stuff up a lot. I've got good intentions. I try really hard. but I can't look as good as some people. He's more interested in your heart. Let me give you a little um, peek at how the Sermon of the Mount ends, just so that you understand what the big picture is that Jesus is trying to get across in these three chapters of teaching. There are many of you here who say to me, Lord, Lord, will, will not, uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. You could do all these great things. And actually, these things sound pretty cool. You can drive out miracles. The way Ravi Zacharias, apparently, the way he managed to manipulate a lot of these women. Apparently over 200 images were found on his phones. He had multiple phones. And the way he manipulated these women to give sexual images to him, he would say, I have a great job. I'm saving millions of people. Bear this for God. And they did. And we read this verse, and it hits home. 
There is nothing that can be hidden in our lives. As a church, for too long, we've shown bright lights to the world, while inside, we don't want to shine any light on it, because we're ashamed. And it's time that we turn the lights inwardly. This is where Jesus is going with this. The Sermon on the Mount is all about where is your heart. Because, you know, when he talks about being salt, you lose your saltiness. What's the point? Where are you going to go with this? It's useless. And I've got all these books at home by Rami. Fantastic books. Books that have shaped me. And it's hard not to look at them and think what was really going on there. Has the saltiness lost its saltiness? Jesus gives a very hard word when it comes to this. But it takes a moment for us just to kind of look deeply. What does he mean by this? What does he mean by Because some people take this literally. And you've got to be careful. Jesus is purposefully exaggerating. I think one of the early church fathers went ahead and gouged his eyes out. It wasn't what he was intending. In the previous chapter, in the previous verses, Jesus was telling you, you've got to leave your offering at, at the altar. Go, go deal with the, the problem you have with your brother, then come back to the altar. The problem was he was in Galilee talking to people. The altar's in Jerusalem. It's going to take a week for them to leave their, their offering at the altar. Go and get, deal with the problem at home and come back. He was talking, obviously, figuratively, not, not literally. So don't go home and start gouging your eyes out or cutting your hands off. But he's saying... The reason why he's exaggerating is emphasizing the importance of this issue. Now, we use the word looks, we're quite literal ourselves as a culture. But the looks here doesn't mean just, oh, I've looked at something, oh, I shouldn't have looked. You know, He's talking here more about dwelling. When you dwell on a person, on a woman or a man, the... Um, the Message Bible puts it this way, those leering looks you think nobody notices. Which is a great way of unpacking that word looks. I think it's N.T. Wright that talks about, hey, you know what? <laughs> a lot of guys, it's hard not to look. It's the dwelling part that sinks you. And it's interesting that he's talking about this issue and he goes straight to the wars. In the previous teachings, he's talking about you know, murder, and he goes to anger. Here he's talking about lust, and then he goes to divorce. Now this is a good one though. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. Anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This was the big deal at the turn of the century. If you were in Bible college in 1999, year 2000, I don't know, in Sydney anyway, for us, we were debating all night over this. This was the big deal. Do you marry a divorced guy? Oh, you can't marry the committing adultery. But hang on, that's not the way this. Oh my goodness. I think we debated for about a semester and every night. And then finally, for some unknown reason, 
our New Testament lecturer walked in and he looked at us, he goes, guys, it's actually very simple. If you've been given a divorce, you can remarry. If not, it's not called a divorce, it's called a separation. That's the way the Jews saw it. It allowed you to remarry. So in this case, Jesus is saying, if there is sexual immorality, and then he went on to say that the word sexual immorality is far deeper than just having sex with somebody else. Adultery was seen in many different ways by the Jews. The breaking of a covenant. The reason why many of us might look at abuse as being a commitment, a, a, a breaking of the marriage covenant. But it opens the door to a little bit more than just sex. But even so, Jesus again is emphasizing how important it is that you can't just divorce. I've had enough breaking this up out of you. Divorce. Big issue for Christians today. On the one hand, you've got this issue where you shouldn't commit adultery. On the other hand, right after divorce, Jesus starts talking about your oath and your word and how important it is to keep your word through the good times and the bad, rich, poor, between lust and truth-telling. In the middle sits divorce. And, and I don't want to even look at this from a marriage point of view. I just want to look at this from a Christian point. These are basic lust and truth like Christian disciplines that somehow have been lost to time, I don't know, justification, I don't know. We're called to hold each other accountable. We're called to watch what comes from our mouths. We're called to confess our sins to one another. Why is that difficult? <clears throat> you know, look around. You're all the same. We're no better than each other. Except I, I am kind of good looking compared to most of you. <laughs> and I'm very humble too. <clears throat> I, I've used this before and I'll use it again. It's easy to point out my sins. You can see it's straight here. It's 152 kilos of me. And people would quite helpfully try to tell me how I can get rid of this. <laughs> Had it for years. Oh, Rob, you know, this is blood, and you don't want to say it out too loud. I'm like, no, you can say it. I've got a problem. What's yours? It's easy to see some people, it's just visible, but for most of us, it's in a deep, dark corner. We're not going to share that with anyone. We don't want to share that with anyone. Deal ruthlessly with signs of lust. Uh, I can only talk to guys, but I know women have similar issues. Guys, you need to get guys around you. You need to have accountability partners, people who will hold you accountable that you can be doing and saying the truth to them. 
that you don't go for years and then at your death you leave a legacy behind of brokenness and lies that don't just impact you, they impact all the people around you. And God has a way of bringing to light all the dark things. Don't think you can, I've been a pastor long enough, I've seen it happen. You think you can hide it? Don't hide it. Bring it to light. Once it's to light, it loses its power. It loses its power over you. Deal ruthlessly with signs of lust, but be determined to tell the truth. Don't swear as... This is what the old Jews, the ancient Jews would do. They were swearing. Oh, I swear by God, I'm not going to do this ever again. I swear. Jesus, just, just say you won't do it. But hold to your word. Problem is you're swearing and you're not doing it. So you're dishonoring God, you're dishonoring yourselves. Premarital counseling, I tell people, this, this, is, this is the best part of your marriage. It really is. You're, you're both good looking. You don't have aching knees and you're not sleeping. You sleep beautifully. You got a head full of hair. One day you'll wake up, you'll have no hair, and you'll be weighing twice the amount you were when you got married. Aching, you make noises when you get out of bed. You know, you don't know that now. And the little things matter. Like how you stack a dishwashing thing. Jesus is all about the heart. And, and, and Mon and I, Mon can tell you, we've had some rough times in our marriage. But there's one thing I know, and I'm pretty sure she knows. She knows my heart, I know her heart. And there's an openness in that. We're broken. We get all hung up on our little things. I get tempted. But it dies the moment I bring it forward. God wants to know your heart. He wants to look right in there. I care what you're doing on the outside. I care how many activities or things you're doing. He's looking to your heart. And that is the challenge. That is our challenge. I ask our team to come up. And as I do, I just want you to reflect for a moment. Do you have people around you that you can tell the truth to? We Christians are known for calling out people with the truth, but we're not known for calling ourselves out with the truth. Do you have people in your life that you can be truthful with? Every little aching hard thing about it. Do your, does your mind go beyond just looking, wistfully wanting something that you know you shouldn't? How are you dealing with that? Who is holding you accountable? I don't want to just leave you with thinking, I have nobody, who do I go to? Come and see me. Come and see Kathy. Ask us. We'll, we'll pair you up with someone. We'll give people a wrench. But do not leave today 
thinking through your hand right up. Father God, thank you for your hard work this morning. Thank you that you don't mince words with us, Lord. Thank you that it is hard sometimes to look at it and think, how do I deal with this? Or what do I do with this? Where am I at with this? You don't just leave us in our nice, comfortable spaces. You challenge us to be more. We are your children. But we do ask for your help, Lord. For those today who are thinking, I, I don't have anybody. Uh, I pray this morning that they make a covenant with you, Lord, to find that someone. To allow what's deep inside the truth of who they are, that they come to life. Father, for those who are hurting by the weight of all that's going on within them, their own pain for the weight of maybe this sin that they're afraid to share. May they know that this is a safe place. That we're in this together. May they lay that weight at your feet, Jesus. 